Good morning. Welcome to worship at Northminster on this beautiful but hot Sunday morning. Hopefully some rain later this afternoon and a cool week next week, let's hope. Whether you're here in person in our sanctuary or viewing this service over our YouTube channel, we're so glad that you're with us. And if you're visiting with us, we offer you a special welcome and hope that you'll participate in all aspects of our service today, and that includes communion if you're here in person. Uh, our tape, this table is God's table, so it's open to all, and we hope that you'll feel free to participate. Just follow the instructions you'll find in your order of worship. As I say every week, for all of us, our first gift of God in this service is our gift of presence, so uh, our, our personal presence here. So if you feel comfortable doing so, if you take the uh, attendance registers, you'll find there in the hymn book holders on the, uh, on the aisle and complete those, we would appreciate it. Immediately after worship today, I hope you will stay to discuss the welcoming and affirming statement that was sent to all members and friends by constant contact this past Wednesday. The statement will be presented for further discussion uh, and approval at the regular business meeting in July. We're thankful to Robert Crawford for uh, the beautiful floral arrangement this morning on the communion table. And after the service, as always, please feel free to come and gather some of the flowers to brighten yours or someone else's week. And as always, please check out the uh, other opportunities uh, and uh, announcements in the insert in the order of worship or check out our newsletter. And now Scott Higginbotham will come and bring our minute for missions. Scott. Good morning. <clears throat> July's mission focus is a new one for Northminster Church, um, though it does have a three and a half year track record in our region. Specifically, the organization we're collecting for is Exit 318, uh, signifying the 318 area code geography and the abbreviation for Ex-Offenders in Transition. Exit 318 is a program funded by the Department of Corrections and presents a re-entry accountability plan in the form of a contract with Ex-Offenders. This is a program supported by many companies and local businesses with a home base in Goodwill Industries. Since this is a new mission focus for us, we thought you should know a little bit more about it beyond the specific items that are needed and listed in the newsletter and bulletin. Uh, these items are very similar to the things that we typically seek for anyone who is setting up in a new environment. There are three phases to the Exit 318 program. The first begins well in advance of release from the incarcerating institution involving education, preparation, and understanding what is required to qualify and stay in the program. The second is going home, and ideally the third phase is staying home within the community. The program provides job placement, giving the released person a second chance in the work field, housing, where different organizations as well as individuals provide a room to stay in transitional housing or rental apartments, legal services for those who do not reoffend uh, to have the possibility to have their records expunged, 
or help in reuniting with their children and families. Another service is transportation assistance. They also help with supportive payments such as rent, utilities, transportation, and other fees. Case management is the tracking and assistance given to prevent recidivism. The program is voluntary, and once the client is accepted into the program, weekly work begins in assessing needs prior to release. Once released, the housing is arranged, job opportunities accessed, and counseling, rehabilitation, and behavioral chain services are offered. Clients must be willing to make positive changes and they are provided with many opportunities for success, but their choices ultimately determine their personal success. Refusal to participate in programs and assignments, as well as drug use or reoffending, is cause for dismissal from the program. This is a program that is making a difference and we are pleased to make it a focus of our missions. So what can help people get started off on the right foot? Basic necessities such as deodorant, razors, shaving cream, shampoo, soap, toothpaste and toothbrush, towels, washcloths, new undergarments, socks, basic cleaning supplies such as a broom, dustpan, mop, dishwashing liquid, laundry soap, uh, 409, Windex, etc. Bedding, pillows, sheets, pillowcases, blankets, comforters, coats, and other clothing. And these will be uh, printed in the July newsletter um, and bulletins. Thank you. Let us worship God using the words in our bulletin. Beckoning God, you move in our lives. To listen for your voice and to speak your word. Empowered by your spirit. To journey, trust, listen, speak. And to be your faithful servant people. Amen.
reading from the 14th chapter of Romans. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. A word to the church. Thanks be to God. After such a consequential week in our country and such a consequential day in our church, I felt that turning to a, a classic prayer of the church, 
and prayer for unity would be appropriate. This prayer is found in your hymn book, and it's page, actually it's not page, it's number 855. You probably never turned to a number that high, so go ahead and start turning there, turning and turning, while the choir sings, turn, turn, turn. <laughs> P.T. Forsyth, uh, a congregational minister and theologian from Scotland, wrote this prayer. And it seems to me, even though he lived in the late 19th, early 20th century, the prayer uh, echoes across those centuries. Let's make this an open-eyed prayer where you read silently as I read the prayer out loud. We beseech you, O God, for your church throughout the world. May it grow in the faith of the cross and the power of the resurrection. May your spirit minister to it continually the redemption and reconciliation of all things. Keep it in your eternal unity, in great humility, in godly fear, and in your own pure and peaceable wisdom so easy to be entreated. Make it swift and mighty in the cause of the dominion of heaven. Cover, establish, and enlighten it, that it may see through all that obscures the time and that it may move in the shadow of your wing with faith, obedience, sacrifice, and godly power through Jesus Christ, our sovereign. Amen. According to Luke, Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, then you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper? Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God.
This is the uh, last Sunday I'm scheduled to preach before the new pastor arrives. And I'd hope to uh, edge, exit stage right, um, gracefully, if not quietly. But the events of this past week have, com- have complicated that contemplation. Within, of course, one week, the three biggies. The bipartisan gun control bill signed into law. Our consideration of a welcoming and affirming statement. And the Supreme Court's decision on reproductive rights. You could not choose three more emotionally charged and divisive issues. So how can I preach on such controversial subjects? How can I not address them. But the more I thought about how to approach this sermon, the more I became convinced that what I had already written instead of what I might write was what the sermon should be. You may call me craven or you may call me prescient. You see, This is it, the sermon, written earlier in the week with only the final application revised. Newsflash, folks, it's not easy to follow Jesus Christ. Now, going to church, calling yourself a Christian, that's pretty easy to do in our culture, but to follow Jesus That's another matter altogether. And it would be so much easier to follow Jesus if it were not for all the other people who follow him with us, not so merrily sometimes along. It would be so much easier if it were just a matter of me and God. My God and I are doing fine. Sorry about you. It's other people that mess things up. I was working with a group of youth staying up all night uh, at a church. It's called a lock-in. The adults refer to it as an adult torture chamber. (laughs) Where in the lock-in, youth stay up all night in a church to bond while the adults are in bondage to loud music, (laughs) hyperactivity, and endless queries. These queries get especially interesting about the middle of the night. And on one such middle of one such night, I happen to casually make the statement, you can't be a Christian by yourself. You can only be a Christian in relation to others. Well, they thought I was bonkers. What are you talking about? And they came up with bizarre situations. Okay, someone was lost on a desert island. The other person, no, no, stranded on a mountaintop. Somebody else said, I marooned in outer space. You see, my logic was that if God is love, then following Jesus means loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, 
and loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, you can only do half of that alone. You can love God with all your heart, but you can't love your neighbor if you have no neighbor. And can you truly love the God who became flesh without loving some other fleshly one or ones? God is love, the scripture says, and love can only be a theory, not reality, without another. Jesus promised where two or three are gathered in my name. He wasn't just picking a number. Two or three. In my name, Jesus said, I am with you. Notice he did not say where one is gathered. It's kind of hard to gather with yourself. Now, they still thought I was bonkers, but I still believe faith requires community, and so we're stuck with others if we stick with the God of Jesus Christ. In the gospel before us today, Jesus sets out some guidelines for the company of his followers. To be my follower means this. And he starts out with a notion that should hit home with us all. Everybody makes mistakes, he says. Everybody stumbles, he says. But to trip someone up on purpose... To make a person make mistakes, that's not acceptable. Well, everybody looks bad from time to time, but to intentionally work to try to make another look bad, that's such serious business that sweet old gentle Jesus sounds like a mafia hitman. Anybody who causes another person to stumble, put him in concrete and throw him in the river. Uh, Jesus? He imagines a huge stone from the grain mill attached to the neck of the offender and sending the one who causes another to stumble in for a deep dive down. You're beginning to feel a little tug of some weight. You're hearing the sound of a little water lapping. You know, you may remember that I told you about my father's aversion to church. And I told you much of it grew out of the harsh religious experience. I didn't tell you about the experience that solidified him as an adult and his enmity regarding organized religion. After my conversion and baptism at the ripe old age of six, My father had his own conversion experience on his knees in an alley with a bunch of church deacons. I can only imagine what those deacons must have done to get my dad on his knees in an alley. But he was excited. He had found that faith that he had always heard about and run from. And he attended church and Sunday school with gusto. But the excitement did not last long. A few months after his baptism, he went to Sunday school. The teacher called on him to read a scripture. Now, my dad was agonizingly shy. I'd never heard him speak in public, but but he was going to try. He fumbled with his Bible, 
and he couldn't find the verse. The Sunday school teacher berated him, embarrassed him in front of the class, making him a laughing stock for not knowing the Bible the way a good Christian should know it. He left that class and never went back to church again except to hear me preach. It's easy enough to stumble on our own. We don't need any help. Here in worship, we're brought together to become one. I never saw my father gather at a communion table. But that table is the center of our worship experience as we look here. There it sits. Here we're called at this table to take care of each other, not to take each other on or take each other down or take each other apart. Here we are called for each other, to help each other, to keep us all stumbling on over every stone to the table. We would never be good enough to make it to that table on our own, only because Christ cleared the way, mowed down the mountain which separated us from God, that we can see the table, much less approach the table, much less partake of the gifts of the table, because the table of our Lord sits on level ground. We're all the same here in our sinfulness and in his forgiveness. Speaking of forgiveness, ouch, Jesus makes that pretty hard on us also in this morning's text. Same hymn, different stanza. How much easier would it be if faith were just God and me, God doesn't need forgiving, and I can easily rationalize a way to forgive me. But Jesus requires perfection in the forgiving of the imperfection of others. Jesus said, you must forgive seven times a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. Are there any mathematicians in the audience? I dare not say what those numbers might be because I think I would get them wrong. But see, folks, doing that math is called biblical math. Biblical math means seven is not merely a finite number, but seven is a symbol of perfection. Your forgiving must be as infinite as the grace of God. No wonder the disciples scream in desperation, increase our faith. Come on, Jesus, we can't forgive like that. Not that often, not that consistently. We need more of what you've got to do that. We've got to have more of something to stop tripping each other up, actually causing each other to stumble. It's been great fun, and it's distracted everyone from seeing our own stumbling. But help us, Lord, give us more of what we come to you seeking. Make us stronger. Make us powerful. You're all powerful. Make us just a little powerful. Because what you ask us to do with other people, other people being the way other people are, that's just too much. It's too much for, to ask for us to accept someone who disagrees with us so vehemently. It's too much for us to handle to be around someone 
whose ideas are at odds with ours. Give us more faith. Give us enough faith to deal with each other. Jesus told them, you don't need more faith. All the faith you have, that's enough, no matter how much. It's not the amount that matters. Mustard seed faith can tackle mulberry difficulties. Ever see a mustard seed? You have to look real hard to see a mustard seed because they're so small. Ever see a mulberry tree? Mulberry, Arkansas used to be one of my hang-ups. I know mulberry trees. Moving it would be a mighty deed for a little mustard seed. But you have inside you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, all you'll ever need, all the faith you need. You don't need any beatific vision or glorious revelation or spectacular manifestation. The Spirit of God and Jesus Christ is already in you and wants to have God's way with you. The Spirit in you wants to keep others from stumbling, not cause others to stumble. The Spirit in you wants to remove obstacles, not erect or arrange them. The Spirit in you wants you to pick them up, not put them down, steady them, not unbalance them. The Spirit already in you wants to make faith, that faith already in you, come alive and live out. The Spirit wants you to carry a pardon, not a grudge, to restore, not destroy, to reconcile, not retaliate. The Spirit already in you wants to turn that faith in you into acts of kindness and compassion for others. Everyone needs to feel forgiven. So God had a plan. That plan was to make you and me and all others who gather in God's name into instruments of forgiveness. Forgiveness had to be more than a vague theoretical concept. Forgiveness had to be wrapped in flesh and emitting sound, and that flesh and sound is us. Now forgiveness would never be more than an arm's length away. In the scripture this morning, Jesus is saying those who would follow him 2,000 years ago and those who would follow him today, following me means faith enough to serve. That's the secret. Treating others right is seeing yourself as servants. If Jesus is the only Lord, we're all servants. How can we look down on anyone? There's only one master. The rest of us are servants. Are we putting our faith into action, forgiving each other? Imagine what life would be like in Northminster if we served God first and served one another next. We could not lord it over any other, for the Lord would rule us all. We would work with others as common servants of a common Lord toward a common goal. Now, we kind of cleaned up the text this morning a little bit because the Greek is much more harsh than the English translation that was read. The word in Greek is not servant, but slaves. Well, you can't say slaves. That would be indelicate. But that's how indelicate the image is. Slaves. We are slaves. 
God owns us. We are not our own. And when we've sacrificed all and given everything we've got, it is no more than what we were bound to give. The most we can do for God is only our duty, nothing more. We are slaves, and no one slave can look down upon another slave. And so the followers of Jesus stumbled as they followed him. Tax collector and zealot. Fisherman and scribe. We all stumble toward this table this morning. We don't dare stand in anybody's way. Gun lovers stumble to this table along with gun loathers. LGBTQ plus stumble toward this table along with those uneasy with such abbreviations. The pro-life stumble toward this table along with the pro-choice. Democrat, Republican, Independent, all stumble toward this table today. We stumble to become one as we receive one loaf and one cup. We stumble toward transformation into the people of God. And it would be so much easier if it was just God and me. That's the easy way. But we're called to do it the hard way with each other. We may have nothing in common with each other except that somehow, some way, we find ourselves moved to follow the one called Jesus. That may be all we have in common. But that is all we need.
these, the gifts of God, to these, the people. 